All right, here we go. Welcome to another episode of the Non-Vixen Nation podcast. And today, as you can see, we have a full house. And so <laughs> rather than me trying to explain what everybody is, I am just going to gonna go around and have everybody introduce themselves. And we're going to start with Craig. Oh, I'm Craig Sawyer, founder of Parents for Children's Gear. There you go. <laughs> so, my name's Sutton Faircloth. I'm the founder of the Warriors Forge. The Warriors Forge? Uh, making knives yes. for... making knives for veterans and first responders. Very cool. Free to them. There you go. And then uh, I'm Kevin Moore with M3 Tactical Tech. Um, yeah, I started my business in 2017, so it's been a fun ride. I got you. Yeah, I got to meet these two fine gentlemen, right? And quite a few other people, but yeah, glad to have, glad to be here today. There you go. I'm glad to have you all. Um, so you all have kind of shared uh, backgrounds to some degree, one way or another. Mm -hmm. So were you all in the military? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, different branches or? Yeah. Yeah. I'm Air Force. Army. Okay. I started off with the Marine Corps and then I did Navy. Right on. Yeah. The covered almost worlds. all of them. Yeah. No coast you missing here. a Coast Guard. <laughs> <laughs> right on. And then you're all entrepreneurs on top of this. So you all have like your own companies, organizations that you run. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you got into a little bit of that. Uh, yeah, you want me to just go into it? Go All right. I'll, so um, I was doing my MBA and uh, I was working for Liberty Mutual Insurance. I don't remember what year that was. It's uh, oh, um, so 2017 is when I started M3 Tactical. So it was during my MBA. Our uh, professor said that we were going to start an LLC and we're going to start a fake LLC. And then we're going to go through the different processes of running a business. So I was like, well, that's kind of not very wise use of my time if we're starting a fake LLC I'm just going to start a real LLC right. right so I went home that night so I'm like I got one day to figure out what I want to do with my life you know what I mean <laughs> so I'm going to do this but no pressure no pressure yeah so I came back the next day and I uh decided that night I want to start a knife company and um filed the paperwork came up with M3 first it was three of us well, our last name was M right we all started with M Okay. And then the, the next day after I filed the paperwork and got into class, I'm starting to think like, wait a minute, no one cares about my last name, right? Like, right. who am I, right? Like I have not a celebrity, you know, not a basketball player or something like that. So I was like, I want it to mean something, you know, I want right. it to mean something. So it's modern mission mobility. So we create products using modern processes and modern steels for your unique mission, whether you're like, a cubicle warrior if you're an actual warrior right <laughs> and then uh, mobility has to do with our sheets our carry systems um a lot of times i come across knives that i really like i'm sure we all have and you're like what am i going to do with the sheath right like how mm -hmm. the heck am i going to carry this thing it's not um practical so um that was one thing that we really stressed but um yeah i went to work one day and they were asking me to uh be okay with all of our reps making less money and uh, I wasn't really, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of saw the writing on the wall and um, decided to uh, quit my job and come home and let my wife know. <laughs> that was a that was a little bit of a difficult conversation, but she took it really well. And, um, you know, she asked me what I was, what we were going to do, you know, because I was making quite a bit of money at that time. Mm -hmm. And I remember telling her everything was going to be fine. And then I left to go to the gym and I got to the gym and I was like, what did I do? <laughs> 
Well, it's, it's, it's real. Yeah. In a hurry, doesn't it? Yeah. It was the first time I ever felt like, you know, uh, you've seen Austin Powers when he loses his mojo. Yeah. yeah. I felt it was the only time I, I just felt like somebody just syringed it right out of me. And I was just remember shaking and being so fearful. Right. And uh, just started praying, you know, like, God, like, you know, I, <laughs> I kind of was like, God, I did this, but okay, I need your help. <laughs> and um i fix my bonehead and yeah, yeah help me fix this bonehead and move but um you know it's funny the other day i have one of those aura frames on that cycles pictures and um one of the pictures that i loaded up there was that day i went to go get our son from school mm-hmm. and i i love our boys we have three boys and um i i picked up my oldest son and i said Daddy doesn't have to go to work anymore. And it was really special. And we got to just yeah. hug it out. And he was so excited. He had no clue what that meant, right? He's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, great. Dad's home forever. That's amazing. Um, but I've got to spend so much time with my family that I would have never got to spend um, had it not been for this business. So I'm very grateful that God has allowed me to do what I want to do. Right. And just have fun. And- Give back, meet these guys, and we'll kind of talk a little bit. Um, Craig and I have got some things going on together to benefit his company, but just being able to get involved with people like Craig and mm-hmm. Sutton and what they want to do with their company. Right. So I'm sure we'll kind of, after we all talk a little bit, we'll there we go. That out. Yeah. Well, it looks, some things money can't buy. And yeah. a lot of guys that make a tremendous wealth <laughs> of money find themselves trying to buy their time back with their yeah. family. So celebrate what you had there what you found you, you, you saw it maybe potentially as a boneheaded mistake but it ended up being yeah. the right call and yeah cool. so i celebrate that man thank you awesome yeah it was a huge huge blessing to have that time you're right though and then a lot of times when they have the money and they try to buy their time back they're trapped you know in some big corporate position and they don't they have less time they think they're going to have all this time once they work their way up and then they end up having a lot less time well, it, that lesson hit me pretty hard. I was in a vehicle with a fellow operator overseas in a war zone, making the money contracting that I could make over there to feed my family and try to provide for them. And I was telling him that, man, I went home and like coaches and the teachers like, oh, I guess you do actually exist after all. And walked away. I'm like, why am I the bad guy? And he said, saw Kids spell love, T-I-M-E. Right. I was like, oh, dude, you're right. Man, it dawned on me. I was like, I'm getting it all wrong. I'm over here, you know, dodging, you know, all these B-beds, almost getting blown off the the road and burying teammates and trying to provide for my family. But what they really need is me there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they need that father figure. So I started making some adjustments in my life to, to be there more. but. That's why when you're like, you got to be home, I'm like, that's priceless. Yeah, it is priceless. It's priceless, man. When you weigh out how that impacts your children and all the lessons that you'll be able to instill in them because you're closer to them mm-hmm. before they get out, is uh, you can't put a price tag on that. No, and the time with them goes by so quick. They grow up so fast. Everyone says they grow up so fast, but it's like until you have kids, you don't get it. Yeah. They're just up and gone, man. Have a uh, seven month old at home. Old yeah. Girl. And uh, she's Buckeye. adorable. She she's so, so cute. Yeah. 
She's absolutely adorable. I told my wife the other day. Yeah, I said, the keys next week. <laughs> I told my wife on the way home. I said, I found our son's future wife. It's because we have a, a year and a half old, also. Yeah, yeah. She's so adorable. So, and, and that being said, too, is like I I told you before, like I am the stay at home dad. You know, I got my retirement through the the army and stuff, and um, yeah. and having that time now you know we had we had a good amount of time um on our before we before my wife we came back here and she started back to work and it's just, I, I understand that i understand what you're saying you know a lot of other guys tell me it's like dude if you even have an opportunity even maybe homeschool too like just in the early years and then let them you know go like maybe middle school or something like that like that's just going to be tenfold impact on on your on your child so yeah. things to con- contemplate about so yeah homeschool didn't used to seem to be necessary so much used to be like a a unique luxury and now it's like if you want your kid to be sane and whole (laughs) you almost need to it's like wow things have gotten so different real different when i I was growing up i remember thinking like homeschool people were like they live out in the sticks Mm -hmm. and like it's just just this thing that they do, and their kids don't get to take part in all these fun things. Right. And now, right. I'm, now I'm growing up with my own kids, and I'm like, weird. Yeah, this is it's weird that we send our kids to school sometimes. You know, to um, a place where their mind is manipulated to think like the rest of the world. You know, it's really yeah. sad, it's scary. It's tragic. It's tra- it tragic. Programming yeah, to put up with. Yeah, it's it's concerning, man. Luckily, our kids haven't come home and said anything off the wall yet, but yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like it's a time bomb, you know. Some kind of weird and eerie that I've noticed driving around, too, is all the new high schools around, like, Queen Creek and stuff where I'm around. They all look like institutions. They all have, like, thin, tall windows and stuff. They look like prisons. I'm like, yeah, why are they all looking like that? Like, they're starting, yeah, they're getting, the windows are getting, I'm, they're probably pointing off saying it's, like, probably for heat efficiency or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, less, less windows, better, you know better green plan or something like that for the building but really it's just more looks more like institution to me yeah it's kind of weird they're doing all i've no, i noticed when uh charter schools became bigger really fast and now the charter schools are they're the ones that are building the more like expensive looking institutional buildings versus uh, like a school mm-hmm. yeah i remember i drove by one of them with my friend and he's like what the heck is that i'm like that's a school and he's like dude it looks like a prison or or just like a government building, you know, not really a school. Yeah. So kind of going back to what you do, yeah. um, how did you get started with that whole idea? You know, well, again, um, about five years ago, maybe six years now, probably five or six, I can't tell, five years, I started making knives. My buddy, you know, I was asking about a bunch of metal. He's a metal worker. He's a machinist and stuff. And I kept on asking about the steels and stuff. I was like, dude, why don't you just buy a piece of blank steel? and make a knife and try it out mm-hmm. and then i did and then i was like wow this is amazing and i called my buddy and i just found out he just started making knives too this is like rudimentary we're using hand files grinders <laughs> you know i'm I'm trying to make a barbecue pit forge in my backyard trying to figure out how you heat it up and maybe yeah. hang around the thing and then um then i just started up a gofundme because at this time like i i didn't have all my my funds set up properly and stuff and um yeah people were really behind me because i wanted to not i wanted to share this experience after forging this uh knife with my buddy he's like dude this is like one of the greatest experiences ever like i haven't been thinking about anything except for just making the knife while we're doing this and so after um 
going through another program that I went through uh, called Save a Warrior, which is a um, it's an amazing program. It's for you know, it's a suicide prevention program essentially. Um, I realized that there was not a lot of programs out there for first responders, like paramedics or firemen or anything like that. At least outside of maybe some secular things for them, maybe in their local areas to get them out and to help them out. Maybe it's just mainly counseling or some outside counseling, but there's no actual, you know, retreat type fun stuff to do to get their minds off of stuff. And mm -hmm. so, and I, and I realized that going there, it's like, you know, talking to my buddies. And so got a uh, set up and I had a couple guys through Gilbert police department come through and like, dude, this is amazing. Like, just thinking, because all you have time to do is think about making the knife. You don't have time to think about anything else because right. there's there's so many steps. You know, I I, I kind of tied it up to 30 steps in making a knife right. and, you know, list them all off. And you don't have time to think about anything else but what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going to lose a finger or smash it or destroy it or whatever. Cut right. it. So burn yourself. And um, it's just kind of flourished from there. I, I My buddy was like, dude, you should created a nonprofit or something like that. And so then I found out that how hard it is to really kind of start a nonprofit unless you're like have a team of dudes. So I didn't right. haul it that more or less. I don't have a 501c3. I never had. I just mainly just put all my own money into it. And if anybody wanted to donate while they were there making a knife, I just immediately go online and buy more materials for the next guy to, to come by and have more options for them, cooler handle scales or steels and stuff like that. And then, right. uh, yeah. So I've probably done maybe 25 to 50 knives now with uh, you know, firemen. I hadn't had any par paramedics come through yet, which is interesting. But, um, you know, firemen, uh, police, when I was in, in Houston, had uh, quite a few different guys. First time having double amputees coming through and, like, working with them and making a knife and actually, like, hammering and helping them out. It's really, it's really fun, you know. Um, I'm sure it's therapeutic. It, it's super therapeutic yeah. for them. And, and, and it was like, dude, you can't understand how good it is just to only think about this knife for like, you know, two days or even because they got, they can only come in one day a week and then they come back the next day. Cause it usually takes two to three days to make this knife. Cause okay. you know, it's usually about four to six hour time block that we're, we're in the shop, we're working. And so mm -hmm. Um, in that time frame, they go back home and then they're thinking about the knife all week long and what they're going to do next and stuff like that. It's pretty exciting to hear about it. It's like, it's like so. a defrag and reboot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's nice. Yeah. To pull out of that rat race, you know, exactly. pull out of the matrix for a minute and focus on something real. And that's another thing too. Even if it's simple, you know, yeah. I think the beauty is probably in its simplicity also. Like here's a tool you can use in the kitchen every day. Mm -hmm. And it's something that you can make that'll work. And yeah. there's no politics. No. There's no subversion. Mm -hmm. There's no distortion. There's no deceit in it. It is what it is. Make it and use it and be well. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing too, is of course the military learn how to be patient. Um <laughs> you know, <laughs> just just be patient. I've had some I've only had one guy that was just really, really like scary and how dangerous he because he's never, you know, never touched anything you know uh, for tool wise right like, never hammered on anything he puts a nail on the wall he said and so i've had guys that come in there that were just grinding wizards and never touch a grinder before and that's the most dangerous thing and there's the mm -hmm. grinder and just it's amazing mm -hmm. um but you know and that's the thing too so he's talking about the kitchen knives like that's what we make mm -hmm. uh, we make a kitchen knife because i find it's more important for um for a guy to rather have some cool 
tactical knife that maybe sit, you know, on his kit or like in his glove box or something like that. Maybe someone might carry around with him every day, but I find it more appealing for this, for this veteran or, you know, our first responder to have a kitchen knife that they can use every day, maybe hopefully holistically boost them to want to use it and take care of themselves better than going to eat fast food or going out that they want to use that knife and chop up some vegetables and take care of themselves. Right. So how do people typically find you? Is this all just word of mouth? It's all word of mouth. I mean, I have a Facebook page. I had a, uh, I had a website once before. There's not really a lot of traction because I myself, of course, have dealt with, you know, anxiety and PTS and depression. Um, Mm -hmm. I've done, I'm, doing way better than I had been before. I mainly just, I don't deal with my depression and anxiety so much as, as mainly just PTS and little cues and things, ticks that get me sometimes, but I was a little overwhelmed at first starting it off. So, right. I mean, for me now I, I can see, I can do a little bit more, um, but I was probably only doing maybe, you know, one to two uh, warriors coming through a month. So I didn't want to overwhelm myself. And also on the side of that, I was making knives too, just to sell, you know, to, a little right. extra money here and there inside so you know i just still want to burn myself out now i feel way more implored empowered to to work with a lot more men and, and women to to make more knives with them so so do you have plans then to kind of like broaden out the well that's why okay. yeah that's why kevin and i are yeah talking about that well, let's, yeah, let's take just, over to Craig. Yeah. okay talk about <laughs> veterans for child rescue man Yes, that is something I'd like. Do you want to laugh or you want to cry? Because there's one thing in there. Start with a little bit of laughter, then we can cry, and then we can maybe laugh again. Well, (laughs) well, we laugh every day because we're supposed to. Yeah, right. I mean, life's supposed to be a joyous occasion, a learning process, right? So um, there's always funny stuff, and any any time you get team guys together, you're gonna have you're gonna have buffoonery and humor. So my wife and I wake up teasing each other and laughing yeah. and our, our puppies lick us awake and that's funny um <clears throat> oh man what we've been learning lately is is pretty serious information about why nothing works right anymore why are, is there so much corruption why are so many people in charge of institutions that are supposed to be acting on our best interest doing the opposite and what we're learning is the same thing that jfk talked about in his secret society speech these men are in institutions forward facing, facing the public. They are a certain religious institution or agency or, or whatever. On the backside, these guys have sworn blood oaths to secret groups that they're in. And they're more loyal to that than they are the institution or the agency that they're paid to run for the people. Yeah. So we're being betrayed because these dudes are in clubs, man. They're in they're in clubs where they do. And what we're finding in all these clubs have in common is the sick stuff they do to kids. I'm like, what? what is it? You know, a, a small child has none of the bells and whistles that a full-grown bombshell uh, woman would have, right? Mm-hmm. She's got, scientifically, she's got all the bells and whistles that indicate to you she's going to be a strong, viable mate to give you strong, healthy offspring. Instinctively, we should be attracted to that. So. A child in a diaper has none of that. So it's not an organic or normal or natural tendency to harm a little one like that. There's something very dark about that. 
the good news is it's getting exposed increasingly and it's all going to be torn down all these scumbags and i'll call them scumbags with with authority because there's nothing good about it and so we're learning of these groups their networks we're interviewing hundreds of their surviving victims and a lot of the victims don't survive because the, the the abuse is just horrific. And I won't drag you all the way into how bad it goes. But imagine the worst thing you could do to a child with blow torches and whatever else. It gets so depraved. It is not anything natural or normal that a human being would occur to do to a helpless and defenseless, a pure, loving little child. Mm-hmm. So they do it for their own spiritual reasons. And so... Um, they believe they're into some very, very dark stuff. So our thing is, we don't like that. Kids don't like it. Creator doesn't like it. So we're going to wreck your house. We're going to tear down your institution. We're called to expose it. We're going to expose it. And we're not afraid of you. We're going to expose you in documentary content. We're going to expose you on the radio. We're going to expose you on television. We're going to expose you in podcasts. We're going to expose you in newspaper, social media billboards, NASCAR, on and on and on. And we're going to start arresting you guys and putting you in prison, putting you in a box where you can rape no more. So we've done a bit of that. So we have 26 of those guys we've put in prison, 100% conviction rate, another 17 warrants of more that are waiting to get doors kicked on them or yanked out of their vehicles and and cuffed up. And um, we're making more and more content um, alerting the populace to what's going on because as a friend of mine, I just talked to him on the way on the way here. In fact, uh, we'd grown up in the area just north of Houston together, and he went off into an intelligence agency, and I went off into the Marine Corps SEAL team, and uh, we were smoking cigars back home in Houston once. And he said, "You know, Craig, this area has grown into the hottest epicenter of child trafficking in the continental United States due to the, the pipeline through Mexico up through Houston and." and the oil money and all these other uh, factors. And I couldn't comprehend a couple aspects of that. Number one, how that, I couldn't reconcile that with our culture there that was so God, country, and family, you know, American pie culture. I'm like, how does that level of evil exist here in our hometown? So I felt like, you know, a nasty bully had just walked up and, you know, slap me in the face and, and, you know, taking a dump on my lunch or something like, Oh, me, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to confront me like that. You come here to my hometown. I, then now you're going to spark the fight in me. Mm-hmm. And so I felt that type of affront, that type of offense and invasion. And I also felt that that spiritual side of it, that some of the agents said, this is a spiritually protected crime. This is, there's some dark stuff surrounding this that's unique and i'm like okay i think i get a bit of that um due to my 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 father was a strong uh, spiritual man of god and um he he understood a lot of that um but the other thing i was i was like i'm looking at it and i'm i'm realizing you can't run any crime to that scale to industrial scale in the continental united states without all the powers that be knowing about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't sell a popsicle without the IRS, you know, asking you for your tax dollars on that, mm-hmm. you know, popsicle, right? Yeah. 
So how is it that they're running child uh, children and child trafficking here at a greater rate of annual revenue than all pro sports combined? And we're not notified on it. There's no task force. There's not an agency stood up to confront that. I'm like, everybody's in on it. Not everybody, but I'm thinking to myself, there is a lot of top cover. This is a domestic covert operation running at industrial scale. We have ourselves a serious corruption problem. In addition to the crime, we have a corruption problem that allows this. And sure enough, they're like, yeah, Houston, look at the DA. She will not prosecute child sex crimes. She's a Soros plant. Soros funded her campaign to get her into that seat with the specific agreement that she will not prosecute these kinds of crimes. Oh, and by the way, every other major city, all the big cities, Soros has done that too. I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, hold it, hold it, hold it. (laughs) I'm like, what a glaring conflict of interest. How can you allow anyone to fund the campaigns of an official who's to preside over legal proceedings over destructive crimes, harmful crimes of the people and have him bought with the agreement that he won't prosecute those crimes. That's not in the best interest of the people. I don't care what the crime is. If it's a harmful and destructive crime, we cannot allow anyone to fund the campaign of that judge with any such agreement. So we have DAs, um, Judges and attorneys general all over our country, a, I would say probably more than half of them by now. I don't know the percentage. Mm-hmm. I know that all of the biggest cities have it. But I don't know what the percentage is. But if it was one, it would be too many. Yeah. So we have that. So no wonder. I, folks, I, I hope your children don't live in a city where the Soros planted DA because they're not going to prosecute child rapists and child traffickers. And we have ourselves an industrial scale crime here. And oh, by the way, that's the reason why we don't get what we vote for, no matter which party we're voting for. They're on video raping children at Epstein's Island or at a mansion or at a result all the way around the world. Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell were not the only operation, brownstoning operation, intel collection going. They were one of many. And so now that we understand that dynamic exists, we have to just realize we got to get back to electing wholesome, decent reps and all of our official positions who will simply act in good faith. We have to get back to that. So I found a Vets for Child Rescue to expose all that. We're exposing it. We're operating against them and doing all that. But it's we're having fun doing it because what's more fun than tearing an evil house down? that's harming children so we laugh and we we do have a a great time because some of the dudes are pretty funny they're good quality people and the ladies oh and by the way i'll just say this and i'll let the next guy talk i am seeing that ladies have more moral courage than most men even a lot of even more moral courage than a lot of hardened spec ops veterans Mm -hmm. because i know a lot of seal team operators i know a lot of them but there are precious few who will stand up and and, den- and denounce child rape and child trafficking and pedophilia and say that it is an abomination and it has to be driven from our nation. But the ladies, the mama bears, they don't hesitate. They'll be like, That's wrong, and I'm going to claw your face off if you don't 
you know, stop it. Right. So we need more people who will stand up and, and denounce this and uh, hound their elected officials to change the change the laws, enforce the laws, um, eradicate different agencies that are that are harming the children and are part of the the um, process, the the harmful process. We there's a lot of change that's needed. So the good news is you can't swing your coat in any direction without hitting something that can be fixed, and we can all be part of that solution if we just decide to be. That's pretty cool. That's pretty uplifting and empowering. Is that we the people are to be the solution we get to be and the opportunities everywhere yeah so i had mentioned kind of before we started recording that i'm not a religious person i'm not a christian i'm not catholic i'm not any denomination right i have my own beliefs and i believe there is a creator and i believe that it's it's amazing that we've come to this place where this is not only ongoing at such the scale that, that you're talking about but that it's becoming, it's getting to a point where the people are actually trying to like, instead of, instead of just everybody collectively agreeing that this is wrong, you know, it feels like we have to convince people that this is wrong. Like all of the things that are going on in the education system, all of the, you know, the, the grooming and things that are happening there, you know, and just the sheer number of, of pedophiles and things like that, that are trying to be uh, medically I'm not sure if prescribed is the right word, but they're trying to like normalize that whole idea and say that they're minor attracted, which is not a real thing, you know? So like, how do we get to this place where people have that mindset to begin with? And how do we move back to the direction that we should be? Yeah. Which is. Yes, sir. Okay. So we got here through programming. Everything's programming now. I don't care if it's your apps on your iPhone, when you do a, a search on a search engine, there are all the pops up, pop-ups and, and wallpapering and messaging and news things mm -hmm. that are orchestrated. They are very controlled to, to lead you a certain direction. And it is against your own best interest, all of it. So we have a, a, a clash between the forces of good and evil mm -hmm. as to whether or not we, we rise up and overcome all this or we are drugged down and we get sucked into our own destruction. So after World War II, we, we brought in a bunch of Nazis, their, their rocket scientists and their psychologists, mm -hmm. both of whom had the, the foremost authority probably on earth of their skill sets. Psychologists had 6 million people that they could torture to death and exterminate. And God only knows what sort of rituals were conducted between the Nazis who were deeply into the occult and Satanists Mm -hmm. So that's that's not a secret and it's not a theory. It's you know it's documented history that castle and they they did the ceremonies and all that stuff. So what was the arrangement for them to get the technologies to psychologically program people with the monarch MK Ultra style trauma based programming that involves torturing children and horrifying them and splitting their minds into schizophrenia and then programming the different personalities that they split into. Well, that has pervaded our, our Central Intelligence Agency, um, our Army PSYOPs units, and who knows how many others, because sadly, it works. That trauma-based programming works. And what we learned from the propagandists from World War II, the, the Nazis and the Russians, is how they conditioned their populace to go along with whatever the government wanted them to do. So now that doctrine has infiltrated not only our intelligence community, but big tech, 
academia. These things have been incorporated into our political institutions, and we're bombed with it 24-7 from all directions. Our uh, Hollywood, the music industry, saturated its programming, 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 except this one-world Marxist government, godless government, and and take your slavery without a without a fight, mm-hmm. right? So it's been since then, since the end of World War II, that we've been conditioned slowly into accepting this. And so, how we get out of it, we kind of break the mold, break the mold, uh, kind of pull out of the matrix, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's got to do with sharing the truth vetting your sources and finding factual evidence that can be proven out and networking that and sharing that so that lights can start to come back on. We're like, ah, you're right about that one thing. I'm sorry, bro. I harassed you because it sounded crazy five years ago, but now half those dudes have been arrested for exactly what you said. And, and you, you were talking about this one thing you were on an op and you saw something I didn't understand. And now it's proven out. And so as we start to learn the truth, we network and we share it and we go, man, this this agenda is actually a real thing and it's against our best interest. And we start empowering each other. Knowledge is power mm-hmm. when you utilize it. So divide and conquer is an old military strategy. It's a well-known one. Why? Because it works. Definitely. That's being done to us mm-hmm. right now by those whom we pay to represent us. We're being betrayed being ripped off or being lied to it's painful and many people cannot face it but we must we must find the moral courage to admit it and look at it and and go okay yeah it it stings it burns Mm -hmm. that this betrayal but it is what it is and they have to go we the people have to rise up we are a constitutional republic if we can keep it but we're supposed to drive the bus Right. When we've taken our hands off the bus, the demons have driven it into everything destructive out there. We have to throw the demons out of the bus and start driving it again ourselves, as our founding fathers meant for us to do. So that's how we get back is we we throw the bums out of office. If they're not representing our best interest, they have to go. We have to get active, and then we have to restore truth. And when we start speaking the truth again and having people represent our best interest, the whole pendulum can swing back toward the middle. We can have a more sane, productive society again. But what we have going on right now is an utter assault on everything that makes our nation strong, and it is unsustainable, mm-hmm. absolutely unsustainable. One thing I noticed, too, when you're talking about like saying realizations, oh, yeah, and then you caught that. Biggest thing is, is, is for people to not feel bad about being called a quote-unquote conspiracy theorist, which was a, a term coined by, I believe, the CIA to denounce any kind of anyone who is thinking critically of, right. of anything that might be truthful, actual, factual information, mm-hmm. you know? And I always find that there's, like, three different mm-hmm. There's one that's actual truth, there's one that is led to be true, and then there is one that is someone is, has the, the misinformation. So you have actual information, misinformation, and disinformation. And and I think that's one of the hardest parts in today right now because there's, we are bombarded with so much psyops right now with yeah. the media and everything like that is trying to get through one of those three types of information so understanding what is informa- misinformation what is the disinformation what is the actual factual information in life and, and understanding that it's okay to be a, cri- a critical thinker of that matter factor mm-hmm. and to actually ask those questions not feel bad about someone else who wants to denounce you or just to understand that you know what it's okay. You don't want to open your mind to that and then whatever and just keep on passing the word on to someone else. And I think it's really important to do so. 
you know, vetting your sources is a very, very important thing. So having worked in the intelligence community and as a federal criminal investigator, I was trained to vet my sources. And vetting means research them, find out where they came from, what makes them tick motive, right? And their integrity, their, their accuracy of their product over time. Well, I see a lot of people and maybe well-meaning, I think a lot of them are, are, are paid opposition, but people under the banner of patriots or Christians are attacking those who are actually in the fight and, and, and making mad progress against evil. They're saying, oh, this person's a horrible, he, you know, he's their secret life and he's really something different. I'm like, that's utterly insane. In fact, when the person's life demonstrates the exact opposite and the actions that he's done and sacrificed all paint the same picture. You can't say that person's led an alternate life and he's really someone else. Mm -hmm. That's not rational. So when somebody claims something, especially online, I think it's really important for us all to learn the discipline, the basic discipline of looking at, okay, where's the source? Mm -hmm. Who is this person? What is their motive for making this seemingly outlandish claim? Oh, well, a, they were an agency person, that they're a whistleblower, and they are part of this program, and they have factual evidence to prove it out, and they're highly respected for it. Okay, well, then, heck, that might be a pretty good source. Or, no, this person's been in and out of a psych ward. Nothing they've ever claimed has been demonstrated. And in fact, it's been constantly proven false with factual evidence by good people who have no axe to grind, but they're just saying, hey, I'm sorry, this person isn't uh, legit. So. We really need to get into that ethic because I see so many people led astray and they're harming good people online by attacking them. Yeah, get him. See people say that he's this or that. And it's like, wait a minute, there's nothing real about that. Stop attacking the good guys on hearsay online because it it's caught momentum in a in a certain thread of the people that are just entertaining themselves. So yeah. bet your sources, folks. Research and see what their accuracy is over time and make careful assessments. And that's how we can kind of help define or, or, or decipher truth from misinformation or disinformation. Yeah. So there's something, it's a term that I, I refer to as incremental surrender. And it is that like you, you give up something that seems really minor. And so you're willing to just say, yeah, okay, that's not a big deal. And you just kind of go with it. Right. But eventually this, this gets to a point where you really surrendered all of your your personal freedoms your liberty you, you know your decision making abilities all these things and you do it in such a way that you don't even realize that it's happening boiling frog right exactly and so there's so much of that goes that goes on not just in this country but but all over the world but here in particular because things have become so easy for us that i think most people are just content just to like take whatever they're hearing on the news or whatever other media sources they they pay attention to yeah. and just accept that. And even the things that they, they feel aren't quite right. It's like, it's that little thing. It's like the willing just to let that go and not say anything about it or not give that some more thought that it just passes. And eventually you get to this point. And so Kevin is an excellent example of that. You know, you don't just allow the company that you work for, no matter how vested you are in it, just to say, by the way, we're going to like take away, you know, all of the things that you're here for. This is the reason why you're invested in this company yeah. is to, you know, and, and just be okay with it. Well, I, so I have another example of that. So I, uh, 
when all the COVID stuff was going on. I mean, that's an example right there of us giving right. up freedoms incrementally a little bit here, a little bit there. People are so content to just not be bothered, like the path of least resistance, right? right. They, I would have never guessed that a lot of things happened in Arizona would have been able to happen until mm -hmm. I saw it unfold with my own eyes. And I'm like, wow. I, I just can't believe how people are just sitting back and this is just going on and no one's really doing anything, you know, even the election. Uh, I, I don't want to go there, but right now on the podcast, but it's like, really? Mm -hmm. Like, we all know there was corruption, but nobody really did anything. You know, we kind of right. waited to see if somebody was going to make it right and they never did. And um, I don't think anybody's really satisfied with how things went, but at my kid's school, um, you know, they said they're going to be wearing masks to school. And I'm like, no, my kids are not going to be wearing masks. Mm -hmm. And I, as I started to uncover why they, uh, I said, okay, so my kids aren't going to be at school if they have to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. My right as a father. Then the school came back and said, well, no, don't do that. And then I'm like, well, why did they care so much <laughs> if my kids weren't going to be there? Right. You know, why, why are they, why are they even... I would have assumed they would they have just lose, said they lose money. Yeah, so I was yeah. going to go into that. So what I found was, you know, every day our kids are at school, the school gets the payment for the for the for those days that the kids are in school. When they're not in school, they, they it's like a um, what I want to say. It's like a per diem almost, right? Mm -hmm. So kids miss school. There's a per diem that the school doesn't collect, and uh, so they said, "Well, no, don't do that." So I said. Okay, well, I'm telling you, if my kids are going to wear masks, they're not going to school. Mm -hmm. So I think I, I think I kept them home for a day or two. Mm -hmm. The third day, I got, a, I, I called the school and I said, "Hey, I need to talk to your legal team because they had sent a letter home that said it has to be signed by a doctor and pastor, both, not one or the other." Okay. So first, I'm like, "Wait a minute, yeah. I'm a Christian, but not everyone goes to church, so not everyone even has a pastor. Right. So, so this doesn't make sense. Second of all, my doctor's not my kid's guardian, mm -hmm. neither is my pastor. Right. So I called the school and I said, I need to talk to your lawyer. I said, I will sign this form that says my kid doesn't have to wear a mask because I'm their guardian, and their right. father. I said, if you need their mom to sign it, we'll both sign it. Mm -hmm. But we don't need a, a pastor or a doctor to tell our kids if they can go to school without a mask. And so finally, I was back and forth in email, and the lawyer finally said, fine, I'll send you this form. So I signed it. Next day, kids didn't wear masks to school, went to school. Everything worked out fine. So the next day, I printed off hundreds of these things and took them to the school with me, and I was handing them out to all of the people that were coming. Right. Next day, there was like three kids wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. And so... I think it's just little stuff like that, right? Like I didn't have to get involved with mm -hmm. the lawyer. I didn't have to stand up to the school, mm -hmm. but I think it's just, it's a lot easier, right? Than I think we make it out to be like, we think we can't do anything and we just have to force to, this sucks and we got to suffer the consequences of, uh, you know, agencies and our government enforcing these regulations on us. And we're like, it doesn't make sense. It's not fair, but what are we going to do about it? Right. Right. And that that right there that's the type of moral courage that i was saying mama bears yeah i've been doing yeah good on you for that yeah. look there's more than my one wife to fight for your hey, country kudos to my wife dude i 
and, and I'm just going to throw this out there because she was so instrumental in how I was receiving all the things that were happening during COVID. Like you just said, the mama bear, my wife was way more hostile about this stuff than I was. Right. And I, I got a huge pat on the back for my wife, which, you know, I do anything to get a pat on the back for my wife. I love mm -hmm. her to death, but um, I, my wife was really hostile about this stuff. And so it was, she kind of motivated me to like, oh, you're right. Like, we don't have to stand, sit here and do all this, you know? So, mm -hmm. that I, you know, just to your guys's point, like, what can we do? We can do something, you know, we can yeah. start figuring out why things are this way. And, and you were mentioned critical thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's so simple, but we tend to overlook things. Like, it just hit me, like, brick in the face, like, wait a minute. Why do, why do I have to get these signatures from people that have nothing to do with my kids? You know what I mean? Um, it's it's crazy. And it's programming, right? Yeah. Well, like, a friend of mine, Boone Cutler, co-wrote a book with uh, General Flynn called The Citizen's Guide to Fifth Generation Warfare. And they talk about how our country is being overthrown without a single shot fired. Yeah. That's the nature of this type of warfare. So that is war you are making war there's more than one way to fight for your country and then that was an example of fighting back and it is effective because it rocks the the bureaucrats back they're not used to being challenged no. that's why there was such a big panic about january 6th they weren't used to anybody saying hey what are you doing armed insurrection right it's like a massive over wild overreaction and panic while they you know riots and looting and burning elsewhere not not a problem because it wasn't their house yeah right it didn't come to them so i celebrate that man that's that when we start figuring that out the momentum can start changing real quick we start flipping a couple uh figuratively speaking flipping a couple money changers tables over mm -hmm. they start realizing they're going to be um, confronted and held accountable and it's not just going to be a one-way uh, freight train over us well and it's like it's like that was about money, right? Our kids, yeah. me keeping my kids home was about the school not getting paid, which is why they were willing to bargain with us. But you found and, their leverage point and they right. greed the money. But, but, but like what you're dealing with, it's all about money, right? Somebody's getting paid to keep yeah. these things a secret. They're all making money on trafficking. And that's why it's hard to detect. It's because it's, it's being suppressed because it has to do with money. It's really sad. You know, when we start to peel back the layers of everything, things that are happening to our kids, the things that are, like wrongs that are being done to our country, um, all the things that keep coming out, it's all about money. It's all about well, us. money's what money's what pushes a lot of people. Yeah. But with the child trafficking, that's feeding people that want to destroy children oh, yeah, for spiritual demonic. purposes that get them wealth and power. Yeah, right. they want. They want, they're greedy for that position of power and influence, mm -hmm. and they'll be part of those secret clubs and secret societies to get that, yeah. and they'll sacrifice children for the dark side to get them and keep them those positions of power. It's just so disappointing when you see what mankind will resort to mm -hmm. for a dollar, so to speak. It's mm -hmm. just uh, really is weak. Yeah. I was also saying, say, uh... I feel like there's been a lot more like an awakening in this past three years and anyway i've never been seen so many of my family so politicized right. the past three years or actually not just political but just more constitutionalist and where they want to keep america as it should be like you said from being dismantled from the inside mm -hmm. um, the father-in-law says like 
China always, always wants to take over America without a single shoot a single shot. Yeah. You know, there's so many bad things over there. I mean, we have farmlands that are owned by China and stuff like that. And there's right. been recently, like you said, a small thing. There was was it Missouri or Mississippi or something like that? I forget. They literally changed the locks. The locksmith came and changed the locks to yeah. this town hall where they were gonna, you know, some Chinese were gonna buy like a hundred acres of farmland or something. They said no. You guys aren't going in there to allow that to happen. So they changed the locks, the doors. A simple thing like that stopped mm-hmm. some a huge buyout. Right. You know, and, and I think it's kind of scary for a lot of people because they don't want to get in trouble. You know, there's that fear of of persecution from their own government. Are they gonna get on a list or something like that? They're scared, like, oh, is the FBI watching me now? They think I'm some sort of extremist or something like that. And yeah, a lot of people are thinking, and, and that, and it's already coming to light that people are the critical thinkers, or that are making actions, not necessarily in a small foothold from a school standpoint, but that guy who changed the lock to keeping a hundred million dollar, you know, sale go through. Mm-hmm. I mean, they get scared from doing stuff like that, but it takes those mamba bears to to really make those things happen in today's. Yeah, yeah. Think about life. it. Decent, decent people. We want to color inside the lines, right? Right. We want to be law abiding citizens. Right. It's a harmonious society that we enjoy living in, want to raise our kids in. It's only once we start to see that those who enforce the laws or write the laws have turned against us and against our best interests and are utterly hostile. And then we start listening to the World Economic Forum, the Council of Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderberg Conference, and what they're talking about and what they're bringing out about. Oh, yeah, yeah, we want genocide. Yeah, we want to eradicate whatever 90 percent of the world's population we're like wait a minute yeah where does that leave us because there's not enough time for us to die off and meet your timeline and yeah and what's your great reset it involves bankrupting our our country so that we'll give it up without a fight just like yuri bezmanov the russian kgb defector talked about ideological subversion infiltrate all of our institutions bomb us with uh with rhetoric and propaganda and conditioning us, program us so that we'll give up our country without a, a, a shot fired. Mm-hmm. I'm 60 years old now. I'm about, I feel like I'm about a thousand, but I'm 60 years old. And before I was even born, the list of the 45 communist goals to overthrow the United States without firing a single shot was read before Congress. Read before Congress and we didn't stop it. And it, it will raise the hair on your neck when you read this. It's online. Anybody listens to this, type in 45 communist goals in any search engine and it'll read the lists that pop up. It's 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 a probably 63 or 64 year old document that we'd recovered and it talks about um infiltrating both parties, infiltrating um the uh academia. Uh discrediting our founding fathers as being elitists and you know weirdos and hostile um get rid of god for at all costs get rid of that creator and that central belief and faith that holds us all together hammer the flag and the and the the the, um, the patriotism get rid of that because that's a unifying thing and mm-hmm. and and the family unit the loving mother and father that raised well grounded and secure children Shatter that. Get rid of the father figure. Pay the woman to have children out of wedlock so that the children end up in prison and society starts to be torn down. So it's all been systematically played against us. And we've just been so wealthy Mm -hmm. in this incubator of, of 
liberty and freedom and wealth, right? This we've been so insulated and, and, and this refuge. Comfortable. And so comfortable and benefiting from what you know, men and women in buried in Arlington Cemetery and other cemeteries all around the world fought for. And we're taking it for granted. And now our enemies are capitalizing on, on that and they're taking it from us and we're allowing them. So we have to wake the heck up. And I do, I do believe as you do, I've seen an awakening over this last several years, like how bad can it get? Well, they're going to take everything unless we stop them. Mm -hmm. And so that's the healthy awakening that the populace, you know, is in, enjoying. And then you have these mama bears at school board meetings asking, why are you teaching my elementary school child such vulgar and vile sexual content with hairy, sweaty men grinding on my kindergartner and drag queen story hour with content that I cannot post on Facebook as a mother or I would be thrown off for inappropriate and um, vulgar material. Why are you teaching that to my child and why are you keeping it a secret from me? Mm -hmm. And then why does the FBI call her a domestic terrorist? Mm -hmm. Right. right? When you see that, you see a sickness that goes very deep into our institutions, and it's been worked into that. So we have to clean house at the top of the FBI. We have to eradicate, you know, some of these school boards that are just full of weirdos and psychopaths that'll do anything for a dollar, and they'll bring in this, this, this content that's harmful for our children. So it's just a healthy process of waking up, going to, and participating and saying, hey, you over there doing the weird thing. Uh, you're out. We're going to replace you with someone who's sane and healthy and wholesome, and does and brings um, projects that that are that are productive and in our best interest, rather than this insanity that we're suffering this last uh, few years. So, so yeah. how can we get involved with, or how can anyone get involved with veterans for child rescue or helping what you guys are doing? With our org, man, we've really loaded our website up to be a one-stop shop. So v4cr.org. So phonetically, Victor, the number four, charlieromeo.org is our website. And you can go there, and we've got all kinds of tools that empower you. You love people, you want them empowered. Knowledge is power. So we put tools, information, how to safeguard your children, how to you know get into their smart devices and see who's stalking them, who's tracking them. And all of that kind of stuff. Get that out of their uh, devices. Make them smart so that they're looking after their their own best uh, interest and safety. Mm -hmm. um, they can help by volunteering. They can help by uh, buying our merch and our coffee. Our Rescue Rose coffee is epic. Um, there you go. Yeah, it's yeah. organic. It's it's a local roaster here. They're they're fantastic. Um, and it's just stuff like that. So really, everything's on there. The website v4cr.org and watch Contraland, our documentary. Very powerful, very factual. It shows you um, what we are able to learn in the first three years of founding Vets for Child Rescue of what child trafficking looks like and what we were uh, able to do as far as uh, um, interviews and law enforcement joint operations and the arrests that we made and the experts like Jack Farmer, the real Jack Ryan from the Tom Clancy series. He's a friend. He's on our board um, and some others like Judith Reisman. Talk about a mama bear. Judith Reisman spent 50 years dogging Alfred Kinsey, the CIA-funded um, fake scientist who tried to normalize child rape. He went around politicking very actively, mm -hmm. all 50 states, to try to make it seem normal 
to rape a child. And he paid prisoners to rape boys around the clock. And there's just some very sick and vulgar stuff involved with his falsified studies. And the Kinsey Institute is still a recipient of multi-million dollar grants and donations to this day. He's still celebrated in our universities as the father of the sexual revolution. But he is a sick, sadomasochistic child rapist. He belonged in an institution. And we need to go back and revise and replace his false studies with actual science. Right now, countless generations of children, countless children have been harmed over the last few generations since that. So, is still used? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That It's still considered um, truth. And so I, I think we need to have the courage and the, the, the discipline and the professionalism to go back and say, okay, Kinsey was whacked. Let's find out how it really is and replace his mm-hmm. whacked out, abusive, probably demonic notions uh, with, with what actually is scientifically. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted to go back to something that you had touched on earlier, the whole idea of critical thinking. So our education system from its very inception, the foundation of it was created for the idea that we wanted to make people that were more productive workers, that they would, you know, kind of fit into a mold, go to factories and do what they needed to do and stop being part of the agricultural system, right? So again, from the, from the very beginning, it was created with the wrong idea in mind. It was not meant to teach people to think critically or to like be to find ways to be more prosperous for themselves. It was all for, you know, the betterment of, you know, the organizations and companies, you know, the, the industrial revolution that was happening, you know, all of those things to empower the people that were already in power. Right. So not only with all of the things that are going on now, more than ever, we need people that are willing to stand up and say, this needs to change. Like the education system is broken at its core and it's very foundation and if we don't do something to to rebuild it in the way that it is beneficial for us not the the government and not for the state you know this will just continue we, we can't allow this to continue to propagate so we need people that are willing to stand up and say this is wrong and and start thinking differently about how we teach our children what's inspiring to me is to see people find their own ways to make a mark just like like that you know finding out from an attorney and then writing up papers and going and empower all the other parents to do the same for their children. That's a beautiful thing. And there's people all over the country figuring out ways to push back in a, in a really respectable and inspiring way. And I, I champion that. I celebrate that. It's, it's, that's the human spirit shining and you're like, yeah, that more of what she's doing, more of what he's doing. That's cool. Right. Right. You know, so um look fear is contagious but but also so is courage yeah you know when somebody gets ticked off in a battle it's like it switches on and it starts bringing it it's it's inspiring for everybody else to go well don't let him do it by himself let's 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 cover him next thing you know you're standing over your enemy's um position and there's just a bunch of smoking bodies and you're like well we've won the day that's Mm -hmm. cool and i think we could do that here i know we can so you see somebody fighting see somebody rising up and, and speaking truth, rally around them, support them, and it will grow. It needs to. Right. You know, a lot of people think it's, it's you got to start at the top, but really it's all at the base. Yeah. It's all at the base bottom, at the very bottom of the hill. You can't get to the mountain, just knock over the king of the hill that easy. 
it's doing what you're doing, Kevin, from from the school point. Well, and you too. I was I was actually thinking that question was kind of a good transition for us. So like I've uh, I was just thinking about what you want to do to help veterans and responders, and um, we we had similar goals we had talked about at the Santan show when we met, and. Um, so I had no, I've been praying for like two or three years for some kind of ministry opportunity. Um, and God has continued to say not yet, not yet, not yet. And um, I even was praying about closing down my knife business to become a pastor. And um, God kept saying, this isn't what I want you to do. And so I've been, I've, I've learned to listen more as I've gotten older and, you know, gotten closer to him and done my studies. And so I said, okay. And, uh, just the other day I had a couple of, I have, I have a two, uh, well, one really solid veteran that works with me. He's a hundred percent disabled. And, uh, I have another guy, um, as a friend of his and, um, basically, you know, they called me up a couple of weeks ago and they said, Hey, we don't want to get paid you know, we just want to come out to your shop and do some work and help you out. We're just bored. And um, yeah. it put a thing in my head like, oh, my gosh, like if I, if I was 100 percent disabled and I couldn't work, like they can't have a job because it voids their um, their disability. payment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like they can't they can't have a job. They can't earn money, um, but they want to be productive. And like I think the worst thing you could do to any human Right. But then now we're talking about men and now and then we're talking about like the guys I work with, I just work with men. And so we're talking about men and then we're talking about um, not being able to earn income and then also being military. It's like, what else can we take away from these guys? You know, like <laughs> we're, right. in the military, we're trained to work hard. Um, you know, we have that camaraderie that we just completely lose once we exit the military. I mean, I think a lot of civilians really know what that feels like, but until I got back into, until I got into the knife community, I had lost my camaraderie except for, you know, once in a while I would meet another veteran or, or we talk on messenger or text or something like that to some of my old buddies, but then you get married and then it's hard, right? Like you just don't have the time that you used to. Mm -hmm. um, but what I saw, these guys came out to my shop and they were working and they were just like loving life and seeing smiles and, um, and all this. And God's like, you're going to minister to these guys. Like your, your ministry is going to be rounding these guys up. You know, we talked, you were mentioning one of the goals is destroy the family unit. And part of the family unit is some of these guys, you know, been divorced or, gone through PTSD, gone through hell, and they don't know how to relate to their significant other or, you know, how to communicate how they feel, you know, de demoralized or taking your manhood away when you can't really be a provider anymore. Um, there's so many emotions. And God's like, you're going to round these guys up. You're going to minister to them because you're going to work together. You know, you're going to do something. And I said, well, well, I want, you know, I'd love to have these guys making knives, you know. Um, not for my benefit though. I want it to be for something that they're like, Oh, I enjoy this. Right. And so like, how cool would it be to have these guys forging and learning a, a craft? And, and then I met, um, Sutton and he's like, Oh, I, I teach these guys how to forge knives. And God's like, you, that's who I want you to team up with this guy right here. And right. it's just this feeling that 
you know, went from me to him and something's like, man, I, I got recharged and we started talking. And so we haven't even worked, sorted out the details yet. It's fun. It's mm-hmm. hilarious. Something that I just met and I'm like, right. you got to come to this podcast. Um, and I said, Craig Sawyer is going to be there. Rico invited me and, you know, I want this podcast to be more deep, you know? Right. And so I see this as a way for, I'm so busy. I don't have time to teach all these guys how to forge, you know? And so to have somebody to like give these guys to Sutton and say, Hey, do your thing whenever, however often you want. Right. And Sutton's where you're one thing you had said earlier when you introduced yourself, you're like, yeah, you know, I, I could only handle before one or two guys a month. And now I feel like I'm more open. Well, like he doesn't even have to look for people now because I got so many people that I'm in contact. Right. Like I, I guarantee every guy watching this podcast that's a veteran or a first responder is going to be like, oh man, sign me up. Right. Yeah. So hit up Rico. Um, you can hit me up. So again, I'm Kevin Moore. My, I'll just give, can I give my yeah, cell phone? Well, All right. So yeah. best way to contact me is my cell phone. Just text 623-521-3495. Um, my website's m3tacticaltech.com. Um, and yeah, I'll be referring guys over to Sutton and working with him and I want to come to your forging class and make a chef knife. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a lot of, a lot of fun. Absolutely. So. Um, well, I want to ask you knife maker something. Yeah. yeah. Why is it? Cause this seems unfair. Why <laughs> is it that forging a signature is bad, but forging a knife is good. What is the deal with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of yeah. taking credit for somebody else's work. Yeah. 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 All right, sorry, bad human, bad human moment. Moving on. We had nothing to say. You know about look about um, suicide prevention, though. I have two thoughts on that, and and maybe this can spark another uh, aspect of what you're doing. Because number one, I don't see any of the takers in D.C. Those who are ruining our country, I do not see any of them taking their own lives. It is never the people who are ruining everything for everybody we served to protect. It is never those people who are ruining it all and taking everything for themselves who are taking their own lives. Mm -hmm. It's the givers. Mm -hmm. It's the protectors Mm -hmm. that are taking their own lives. I'm like, my gosh, you imagine how different it would be instead of 20 veterans a day taking their own lives, 20 of those takers in D.C., Taking their own lives that are ruining everything. My, what a different world that would be just in a couple of weeks. So, number one, we need you. We need patriots. We need veterans and leaders in this country. You're needed. And number two, if we disrupt the process, we are never to take our own lives. Ever. Never, ever. Because... It denies our creator the redemption story. There's always a redemption possible. And many times those are the most beautiful stories ever. And when you thought hope was lost, the obstacle seems so big. You can't see around it. You can't see under it or through it. And you're like, I just can't. Well, guess what? He can. He can. And he wants to. And when you give it to him and he brings you through it, it inspires and it changes lives of countless people around you. All who observe it go, okay, that was impossible. Yeah. And it's cool. Yeah. So never deny your creator that redemption 
story to bring you up and out of it through it because there's always hope so those are the two thoughts i i had yeah. on that so i celebrate people who are fighting for the veterans who are, are um you know finding themselves in situations that they think are just too dark and they, and they can't they can't see a way to pull through and there's and a it, place for that yeah it's called uh save a warrior <laughs> you know really uh savealwarrior.org i mean really that's that's the place to go apply it's free for any veteran who wants to go it's a 72 hour uh inpatient super intensive program it's not mm -hmm. a kumbaya anything you know i went there one time before um when I was, I was super suicidal back in 2015 i was doing everything to the balls to the wall um and you know i i attempted suicide two times uh was unsuccessful <laughs> ended up okay. in the seventh war you know seventh floor of the va building and stuff and uh turned my life around when i went there it's amazing the the when i went there it was a lot longer they've condensed it into a shorter time period now but um i think out of i i don't want to really shoot the wrong numbers but i think out of 2000 uh warriors who've gone through save a warrior mm -hmm. they've only like had three people commit suicide wow wow fantastic which is incredible that's incredible yeah i mean the ratio i mean god forbid you want any any but, but for the numbers sake that's mm -hmm. it's pretty it's outstanding ratio and you know and what i learned especially is is having a purpose and finding something else you know it's like getting outside that's one thing that was kind of difficult too is is, is when you're talking about it, it's like, i'm thankful that you know especially here in this this outlet that people are going to be able to hear it and understand it because you know, other, otherwise, I'm just knocking on the door. They got some random dude coming to a police station and say, hey, bring your cops over and let's make knives. You know, he's like, yeah. what? Right. It's, 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 a it's, it's a trap. It's a trap. Get your hand here. We can see that. Yeah. Like, it's it's kind of weird. You know, it's, it, so there was no real good way to, I sent you the brochure that I yeah, did. Yeah. But that was just recently. I made that brochure when I was in Texas. Yeah. And that actually worked because my buddies posted up in their police departments. And then they're like, then I was getting calls and stuff like that. And then yeah. that makes more sense than me just knocking on yeah, right. the door. Right. Like, hey, do you guys want to make knives? Like, so, but uh, yeah, it's definitely, man, you know, suicide's no joke. I've, I've had probably about eight friends in the past 10 years who commit suicide out of like three companies that I was in. Wow. So, um, and just, I had one, last one, probably about two weeks ago. It was one of my platoon sergeants. Um, I'm pretty sure it was just, I, that guy was just doing coke and drinking like crazy, and I'm pretty sure he just OD'd. So, right. And it's just, it sucks, man, because I just want to, I don't know. Everybody wants to do what they can to keep their, their people from doing that to themselves. Right. So, and and having having an outlook or having some sort of connection or doing something, because they got these veterans sitting on their ass all day long. Right. Me, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm you know, I, I can't work. Because if I do, then I lose my pension. Right. And so here I am, stay at home dad, just waiting for my. I just moved here back to Arizona. Like I said, probably just uh, November. I don't have a shop yet. So mm -hmm. I just been pulling my thumbs and just, yeah, God put Kevin in my place. <laughs> so here we are. So it's a good thing I'm a loud mouth, right? Um, yeah. So there are two things that I, I mean, I've never commit, uh, attempted suicide. I've never had that sort of idea. Right. But just to my way of thinking, there are two things if you wanted to ensure that sort of outcome for somebody is you take away their purpose and you take away their hope yeah. right yeah so the things that you're doing it, it alleviates at least one of those components it's like you're giving them a purpose you're giving them a reason to be doing something mm -hmm. which they no longer have because you've stripped it away from them you know and you can't you can't survive as a person if you don't have an actual purpose if you don't have a mission 
Yeah. You know, Jocko talks about that. Like when you leave the military, you know, and you decide to come back to be a, you know, a civilian again, you need to find a new mission. You know, whatever that has turns into for you, your your uh, your job, your uh, family, you know, some other passion thing that you you take part in, you know, religion, whatever that is, you know, you need to find that. That's the thing that's going to keep you going. Mm-hmm. And you need to never lose hope that there is something better. Even if you don't understand what that is and you can't see it, you need to understand that it is there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a confidence builder too, right? Like a lot of these guys don't think they have any worth left or their confidence is shot. You know, you're sitting around doing nothing for a long time. It starts to sink in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had this this bar of steel. Like mm-hmm. mentally look at that, that steel, the way it is right now. Remember this. And then, of course, I bring back the, another piece of steel. It looks exactly like that. But I'm just saying, well, we're making this. Look, just think about what this is and what, what's going to happen. Right. You know? And they're, they're shocked at the end of it when they have their, their knife in their hands. And it's just gorgeous. You know, I'm just coaching them all the way through. I mean, they're, they're mainly doing everything. I, I, I show them proper techniques so they don't hurt themselves while they're, you know, hammering or grinding and stuff like that. But everything else in, it, in itself it's all on them. You know, I, I, I say, well, I want to make this kind of, kind of knife. I'm like, really dude, just let the steel take, take its form. I know that's what you're talking about. It's like, well, they never make me a knife. I want I'm like, dude, just trust me, man. If, if you, if you try to command the steel to do something that you want it to do, you, you this is your first time forging, man. Just let it happen. <laughs> right. it's just trust me. Just let it happen. You'll be a lot less frustrated in the end. Mm-hmm. So, and then they're like, wow, dude, this turned out great. And so it's just, well, it's, I didn't know I could do this. It, it, Helps you. So I was having this conversation with Craig the other day in his backyard on the patio. We were talking about making things, and um, I, b- because our creator is a maker, right? Like it's. I think it's anytime we make something with our hands, or we, you know, build something. I used to build houses with my dad, and it was like the biggest joy to see this crap piece of land with all this desert brush everywhere. You know, get cleared out and become a house for somebody and to see that go up and to walk away from that project knowing that wow like stand back and look at this was something that we made with our hands you know and when you get done building anything you just have this i think deeper connection with our creator because we are made in his image right and so we're not we can't like make something conjure up out of nothing but we can take what he's given us and make different things and it's just such a, a deeper connection i think you know with for me it is you know i guess if you're not a christian it might not make sense but for me it's a deeper connection with god when i can stand back and look at something that i made and say wow this is just it's just a different feeling that you don't get from anywhere else it's like when i when i go out to the mountains and i look at it, creation i'm like wow it's just a deeper connection with god and I feel like I get a, a, a different kind of connection with God when I make something. And I really hope that, you know, that inspires other guys that come to the class just to have some kind of a, that purpose that you were talking about, right? right? Like, hopefully, eventually, I hope they find their purpose in God. But yeah. for now, if they find it in making something, you know, it's just anything to get these guys to, to kind of, like you said, I don't want them to be distracted and then go right back to what they were in before, but to 
to show them that there's meaning to their life, you know, and yeah. that they can accomplish something. And that's the other thing, right? Like we go from, we accomplish so much in the military. I think like <laughs> we sat around and waited a lot, but yeah. you know, we were on missions and you get the sense of accomplishment and teamwork. Um, I, I think back to, I think basic training, man, when we had all these guys that we didn't know each other and, you know, probably didn't like each other that much and or or even know what the heck was going on but you put us through basic training you get us out onto base and we go on a mission together and you just have so much purpose you know and then you come out of that and (laughs) go 100 percent disabled and you're not getting that that uh that high anymore i guess you could call it from accomplishing tasks you know and it's just you get that from just from doing work you know just from doing any kind of work but i think knife making i know has i tell everyone they're like i want to start making knives i'm like it's a black hole dude (laughs) (laughs) it's like (laughs) consume you so um yeah i just i know that there's a lot of um and and then i mean come on they're military guys right Mm -hmm. like what what's cooler than making a knife and I agree with you. Kitchen knife. Teach them that knives are for something other than what we use them for in the military or tactical or or whatever. Like, you know, even first responders, mm-hmm. um, they deal with a lot of messy situations involving knives and, you know, giving them something that they can actually put in their hand and use to make happy memories, right? Like exactly. making meals and mm-hmm. you know, cooking for themselves, getting their health better, whatever it is. Yeah. So I'm excited, man. Too. I took my son to a father-son camping event in Indiana several years ago, and I showed him my uh, David Beck tracker knife. Yeah, um, combo. You got a cool set. And I, I was teaching him a little bit of how to use it and what some of the features were, and he was like, "Wow, that's that's pretty cool." So <laughs> that's another that's another way that they they can be used productively as far as survival or camping kind of uh, applications that I think can be really really cool. So I look forward to. The day when I hand that off officially to the man cub and go, all right, this is yours now. You know, <laughs> right? And, uh, we're the saw man now. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's got saw man, you know, it's stamped in, into the back of the blade, you know, pretty deep, and yeah. uh, it's a, it's a, it's an awesome blade. I don't know what it's worth now, but yeah. probably ten grand or something. There, those are crazy, but. Um, I look forward to handing that to them. You know, those heirlooms. What a great tool. You know? Yeah. I can make bows and arrows and I with that I can hunt. Yeah. I can make yeah. shelter with it. You yeah. Know? I can I can skin game and process whatever I want. It's just a great tool. So. Where is your main shop located? So it's on Cactus and I seventeen in our in uh Landon McWilliams is our machinist. It's in his garage right now. So uh, we're currently building a facility in Wyoming that's uh, about 4,400 square feet with 20-foot ceilings. Um, it's massive. So he's actually going to be moving all of our equipment up there. And then I have just a small shop in Marana um, in a big steel building um, where I do I can do one-off customs. I can customize some of our run knives and stuff like that and make knives. And I got tumblers there and a blast cabinet. You know, all the stuff I need, air compressor, grinder. Um, I can do some Cerakote if I want to. Nice. Not anything I like to do, but, yeah. 
so i assume laser. you have like even heats or is that how you mainly do all your no training? so actually we use uh phoenix heat tree for our heat tree oh really is that what you're talking about yeah so yeah, you, yeah you outsource it then to... yeah we outsource our heat tree okay. to phoenix heat tree they do some aerospace heat treating okay. and they're local yeah and so when we send off our blades they give us the exact hardness plus it goes through a cryogenic treatment Oh, they cryo treat. Uh, they cryo treat them nice. too, and okay. I cryo treat everything. So nice. I'm gonna nerd out for a minute, but yeah, like please. they tell <laughs> they tell you, yeah, like Inside. 1095 doesn't need a cryo. Well, right. it doesn't need a cryo, but it sure works really great when you do a cryo. Yeah, so absolutely, I we cryo every steel that we that we um, make knives with, and we professionally we have everything professionally heat treated. So yeah. we have a process. Um, I order my steel through Niagara Specialty Metals. Um, it then comes to us. So they actually laser cut our blanks. It comes to us. We do all of like our chamfering and, mm -hmm. you know, any holes that have to go in the handles and stuff like that. We actually send our run knives off to Larkin Precision. They do all the bevel grinding. And then they, well, actually it goes to heat treat first. Then it goes to Larkin Precision then back to us and we sharpen them. While it's gone, we have a CNC router to do our handles. Um, and then we... We have companies that do things like black PVD. Um, we don't do our black PVD coating. We have somebody else do that. Yeah. Um, we have uh, we either make our own hardware or we have another company make our own hardware, make our custom hardware. You talk about the diamond coat. Uh, P P. Uh, sorry, uh, PVD. Okay. Yeah, I don't even know what it stands for. PVD coating. Yeah. Um. So that's how we currently make our runs okay when we get our shop set up in wyoming we will start to bring more processes in house but right now we don't have the space like we want to get a swiss lathe to do all of our hardware in house and currently with everything in his garage there's no way we could possibly bring we have we he actually has a surface grinder sitting at his old job he used to work for marco crane mm -hmm. so his, our surface grinder sitting over at marco crane right now Okay. in phoenix waiting for us to have a place to put it so yeah eventually i think the only thing we probably won't uh bring in house anytime soon would be the heat treat so we want to get blanchard and double disc grinders to do bevels before we ever um think about heat treat because when you heat treat on a big large quantity level doesn't really cost enough money for us to think about doing it and not only that but we'd have to also learn how to do all that stuff right you know i've seen a book a big three inches thick just on heat treating and yeah that's that yeah. a science and it's itself. the most it's, important part of the is, process it really is and when you're doing and we use a lot of super steels too so yeah. when you're doing super steel they have to be a cryo mm -hmm. and i don't want to be cryoing in my garage with liquid nitrogen and doing half yeah. halfway job of that yeah. you know so do you have do you have any any uh forges and i mean you no know, no we don't have any forge so we don't do any forging no uh, I've, I've seen your knives they definitely look yeah. i mean they're clean yeah they're, yeah, they're clean. really yeah. clean. Yeah, yeah i have a lot of respect for guys that forge because it's you know when i got into knife making um i was watching a video by another knife maker and he said something really funny that made me realize i wasn't going to be forging he said if you want to have fun and have a hobby you forge if you want to put diapers on your kids you machine <laughs> so <laughs> you know it's like if i want to make a hundred sheaths 
fit a hundred knives, I either have to send all hundred knives that are slightly different to a sheath maker because we don't even do our sheaths. Matt Nichols does our kydex. Uh, Lance Nixon does our leather. And so um, I send Matt Nichols 14 knives. He molds all of our 100, 200 sheaths, whatever it is, and then sends them back and they all fit perfectly. And before we started machining, you know, we couldn't machine handles because all the handles were slightly different. And so those didn't marry up and it was a nightmare. And so um, Landon, or the machinist, he's like, no, we're going to start doing more and more stuff in house. And then we outgrew our garage. So we're kind of busting at the seams. You can walk in there, but barely, yeah. you know, and we, we have a, co- a couple lasers so we can do our own laser engraving and stuff like that. But um, put logos on stuff without having to send that out. But yeah, we want to talk about the the sawman knife. Yeah, we, we can. I wanted you to bring it up. I didn't. I didn't know if you wanted to bring it up. But yeah, so Craig brought me a design. It's pretty amazing. I think um, you can talk about it a little bit, and then I'll kind of. Well, I don't want to. I you know, we, with the rifle design, we keep having people trying to steal what we've been doing for the last yeah. decade on that. Yeah, because uh, that's we've even had a major. Um, DOD contractor try to sell it to the army to get the army's contract with the the exact look of the rifle that I created that wow venture capitalist out of Fort Worth that we'd pitched it to sold it to that defense contractor for it wasn't his it was my design he sold it to him for unknown sum of money so we'll we'll sort all that out later but yeah I gotta be <laughs> learn to be careful with it so it's essentially it's a skeletonized combat blade that i wish i'd had as a dev crew operator because you know ounces make pounds pounds make pain especially as a sniper man you had 120 pound rucksack on uh routinely plus another 50 pounds of kit and main weapon and sidearm and all that stuff where it's just everything's got to be skeletonized um to keep from just blowing up your knees so um i i kind of designed this and sketched it over a few different years and Went back and forth with a few friends of mine and figured out, okay, how can I make this thing be as uh, as useful as possible? Have as many utilities as possible, but not make it weird or awkward like a like an enduro is. Like, you know, I was a motocross racer, and and a friend taught me how to road race. He was a pro road racer on motorcycles, and both of those awesome motorcycles are awesome. And enduro is supposed to do both, but it's kind of not good at either. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to make yeah. an enduro knife, you know what I mean? <laughs> So I, I worked on making it like a legit knife that you can fight with and you can, it's got a lot of tools on all the no moving parts mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of tools that you can solve a lot of problems with when you're on an op and there's no time and you have to fasten or undo something or, or whatever. Uh, it's got those kind of features. So I think I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. There's a few different versions of it uh, for, for guys that have different uh, hand sizes and different needs. Yeah different preferences but it's um i think you know showing it to enough operators and even swat operators uh, domestically they're like oh dude let me know when these are up i'm gonna have them on my kit day one like okay that's encouraging so yeah anytime you can do something for the military we're giving them one thing and you can do lots of things they can kind of reduce what they need or have to carry it's huge Mm -hmm. so craig's knife is pretty intuitive or yeah intuitive yeah, there's a lot of tools on there and they're all well thought out and well positioned and um i'm very fortunate i feel honored to take on this project and we talked about doing some bigger versions some 
So we got, so you have a couple sizes already. And then we talked about doing some where they're just, just a knife and then some where they have a lot of um, tool, extra tools built in there for multiple applications and then some different price ranges and stuff. We're all sorting all that out, but I'm really excited to see that come to fruition. Yeah, we can make one out of an unobtainium. <laughs> well, for people that have to have just the absolute ultimate and yeah. tier one guys will probably want to run those. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, something that's a little more affordable for uh, regular, you know, use. Yeah. Uh, still an epic uh, quality yeah. tool, yeah. but we'll be bringing those I'm excited about that. Because, yeah. look, I've worked with probably 12, 14 different knife makers, including uh, the one that sells the most knives on planet Earth and, you know, know all those guys. And they've had a look at it and they've all got their business models and what they like to make, what they like to sell. Yeah at that time at that year wow this is hot this season we don't want to i'm like but this is going to be useful and needed for a long time like you'll sell a lot of these and to the right guys are like yeah well our board you know people that are admin people that are sitting there that they're just running numbers and yeah. i'm like okay none of those were the right people and when i met you unlike some other knife makers that either try to take my design and make money on it behind my back <laughs> Uh, like one local guy did here. We caught him at SHOT Show selling my knives. He's like, they're not selling. And his guy's like, they're selling like hotcakes. Uh, <laughs> like, okay, not cool. That's not what we want. <laughs> so he quit. Uh, and others that wanted to take it and make it their design. They wanted to change it to suit them. I'm like, dude, this is not your knife. Yeah. It's my knife. Yeah. I'm just giving you a chance to make it and, and sell it. And uh, it wasn't until I met you that you're like, I'll make your knife. Yeah. And I'll do it right. I'm like, wait, what? So it's kind of that's be, a novel idea. Yeah, I think that's it's pretty it. courageous for somebody to have somebody like you come to them with your resume and then think that we're gonna we're gonna know more than you about what you guys need. It's right. hilarious. Yeah, uh, they're all out there. I mean, what what you run into a lot in the knife industry. Um, I'm sure the gun industry and other industries are the same, but everybody you talk to has is an expert. Right. They all know what, what's going to sell and what's not going to sell. They definitely don't want to make stuff that they didn't design, most of them. Um, and it's kind of sad and funny at the same time. But there's a lot of type A personalities in the knife industry, and they all think they're the genius. So with the, oh. the setup that you have now, obviously it, it, it's in a growth kind of stage. You're, you're getting that more. Yes, correct. Okay. Right now... Uh... Like I said, so when we, this house that we just moved into beforehand, I literally just worked out of my garage, you know, and it's fine. People can come by and, and, and normally I wouldn't, ha I don't have my information listed unless if it's a, on a brochure that's going into a department, I don't have it listed publicly. So they feel more, anyone who comes over is more comfortable of an enemy. Mm -hmm. They don't know, no one knows that they're going to be there or whatever that place is. Right. You know, so the garage is fine working out of there, but uh and then luckily my last house we had three current garage so a lot more space to work with and now i have that dupont covering and and the flooring so it's like right. okay i'm obviously not gonna drop hot steel on this and burn chemicals and smell that right sometime. so you drop a lot of hot steel um so now i'm i'm i have probably like maybe 20 feet by you know 40 feet in my side of my house that mm -hmm. i have room to play with to build a shed and hopefully, I mean, if all 
a lot of it is sound deadening too. I mean, you're smacking an anvil and I have, I have wrapped in chain. I have it sitting on epoxy and I have magnets stuck to it. I have everything that I can to make it essentially putting, you know, a, a tax stamp on my on my anvils um, mm -hmm. to make it quiet. And, and I've done really well about neighbors not worrying or complaining and, and only in, it's not like I'm hammering on the anvil all day long. We're working on that steel probably for about 45 minutes and the guy's gassed out or we get done what we need to get done. You know, so really it's just about finding one, finding the right uh, size or shape or really whatever it is, storage shed, more or less. That's what I'm going to have to build to make a shop mm -hmm. um, and just get creative with like the, the with furnace and having maybe a swing arm so it goes outside and stuff like that. Thinking about insulation obviously we're in arizona so the best mm -hmm. time to forge right now would be right now right uh and i've personally forged in 109 degree heat in my garage before um and i've done Sounds this like fun yeah well it's 100 degrees <laughs> in the garage <laughs> right but then you're standing over the furnace and stuff people right. are like what the heck are you doing dude it's like trust me i've been in heat yeah. like this man <laughs> you just drink you water <laughs> so just drink water and salt and yeah and salt yeah, yeah. lights, man. <laughs> salty water so you know, there's seasons to it. Um, right now, you know, really, how much is a shed if I find the right one? Maybe three thousand bucks or something like that from Lowe's or whatever, and then just got to build it. Yeah. So, um, it really, and after getting built, throw throw everything right now. Yeah. All my shop is literally just on one side of the garage. So I was thinking that uh, it's not that hard to set up uh, a five hundred. What is it? A five hundred one. Five hundred one C three. C three. Yeah, yeah. that. Um, I've actually done that before. Uh, it's not that difficult. It's, it's just paperwork. Lots of stuff you got to get done. Yeah. If if that were something that were in place, do you feel like that's something that you would want to kind of you know actually turn it into that sort of organization so you could actually expand a little bit more? And I would. So the reason why I didn't before is because I understood I had to have board and member mm -hmm. of board, but I'm just the only guy. So I can I can be the the treasurer and the president right. and all this other stuff. So yeah. I can't really do that. And so. My other buddy who did, uh, you know, I think it was like Warriors Fishing Code or something like that. And he had, you know, a few guys to help him out. So he took guys out, you know, first responders mainly uh, to go fishing and stuff like that. So there you go. I need that. <laughs> so right. that's what I really need. Before when I was in Texas, I, because I started getting a lot more people, I ended up getting an LLC. Even though I did, I still have an LLC, but I, I made sure I made zero dollars on the LLC. The only reason why I have it is for liability, just in case of, God right. forbid, someone wasn't as cool as they said they were and got hurt and decided to sue me even though I was doing something good for them. Right. So they'd sue the LLC instead. Mm -hmm. So that's the only thing. Yeah. So, well, part of a community now. Yeah. I'm sure that one way or another we'll get that figured out. And uh, I was a business banker, so I know how to file all the paperwork too. So it's not hard. So but you do have to have a board. So at this point, how would people find you most easily? On Facebook. The, the warriors forge warriors forge okay the warriors forge and you, you look it up and i mean there's going to be probably just pictures and dude grinding or something like that or hitting on anvil and, and it says that i'm located in texas right now i haven't updated it because i just had you know right just got here so i will uh i will be updating that but shoot me a message you know anyone listening and uh and just just know be available in a couple months here right. i mean you know it'll probably be late spring or, or maybe mid spring Hopefully, I'm praying for that. I mean, it's still, still kind of late. I mean, winter is still right. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, know, I know technically, right? I mean, it's Arizona, man. <laughs> so, right. I mean, it's already gonna be hot in May. So that, yeah, 
I'm doing what I can. I've, it, and the thing is, too, that's what I was asking where your shop was because, you know, is that something my wife is, was really pushing? Like, you really need to get your own shop somewhere. And I don't know what it costs anymore to, like, rent out a shop space or to share a shop space yeah. with someone. And then so we'll talk. We'll kind of game plan that and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So um, I definitely want to be respectful of everybody's time. So yeah. if I could kind of go around one more time, how people find you, reach for what you're doing. Yep. Veterans for Child Rescue, you can reach at v4cr.org. All right. Yeah, I'm Sutton. I'm Sutton Faircloth, <laughs> and you'll find me at the Warriors Forge uh, on Facebook. All right. Um, Kevin Moore, and you can find me at m3tacticaltech.com. All my links to social media is on there, too. There you go. And this is the Non-Victimation Podcast. You're obviously watching. I'm going to make sure that I put links to all of the different organizations and where uh, they can help support and offer whatever they can. And I would love to see all of this become much more successful because people need these things. Yeah. You know, the work that you're doing is incredibly important on a level that is supersedes most other things that we think are important. Yeah. So, yeah. So thank you all for being here. Thank you. Really really right. appreciate your time. Enjoy it. Thanks for having us. All right. Hi, everybody. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Also, you can now support the Non-Victim Nation by donating via listener support directly on Spotify. Remember, the story of your life is being written right now. And you are the hero.